0: In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be previewing the game against Lazio. We'll be discussing all things Inter with Italian football writer Niki Bandini. This week's Moji, Moratti, and Frog, and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, only on SempreInter.com. Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host Nima Tavalle wishing you welcome and begging your forgiveness for the involuntary hiatus last week uh, due to uh, some uh, some technical issues. I'm really sorry about that, but we're back now. We're back now every every week um, at the very latest. Uh, we'll be doing two pods this week. Obviously, we're recording this on a Monday. We'll be recording the preview of the Sheriff game on, on Sunday and publishing that on Monday as the game is being played on Tuesday. But before we get to in, into everything and before I confuse you too much, let me begin by introducing my panellists, uh, our semperinta.com's own preview writer, Mr. Positivity himself, Mr. Mohammed Nassar. How are you? I'm uh, fantastic uh, and excited to
1: get, finally get Thing back into the pod again, so yeah, looking forward
0: to this yes, episode. absolutely. Me, me too. And we're also joined by the semprinter.com feature writer, Five Things We Learned from Inter, Mr. Jake Smalley.
2: Hello I'm very well thank you I see that you've had a very nice international weekend I saw you on Instagram looking very fetching wearing a rather <laughs> lovely scarf
0: Yes that is the reason for my hoarseness uh, my voice being a bit hoarse um I was at a at an event if one wants to we you know the thing is we 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 in Sweden uh, all the restrictions were removed on the 29th of September and so we basically had nothing big to go to like everyone else And there was a huge, uh, it was a really big, uh, like a uh, what do you call a premiere of a, of a musical uh, with with a where they turned a, a Swedish musician's uh, songs into a musical? And it was amazing. It was a fantastic night, and that's why my voice is not one hundred percent today. Um, and and I think you you know you know why, Jay, because I was screaming along in that video. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly were <laughs> <laughs> to the songs. Um, but we are also joined by a. A very good friend of the show. She's an Italian football sports writer and broadcaster. Uh, she's fo- she focuses on European football and NFL. She contributes to The Guardian, the ESPN Talk Sport. And she's the co-host of the new Serie R podcast called the Serie Chronicles podcast. We're going to talk to her about all of that. Welcome back, Nikki Bandini. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very good. So good to have you back. Um, and, I mean, let's start. I mean, I want to I hear... Your thoughts, because we haven't spoken in a while, and 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 since we spoke, I mean, even if we were to speak every week, Nikki, a week in Inter years is 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 is, I mean, time is a, is very, you know, um is a relative concept in in Inter. One week, if, there's more things happening at in Inter in one week than most people's lives throughout their entire life. Uh, since last we spoke, into one the Scudetto. Antonio Conte left. Uh, Hakimi and Lukaku were sold. Simone Inzaghi was brought in. Edin Dzeko, Joaquín Correa, Denzel Dumfries. I mean, there's so much going on. Oak tree loans. I I, I want to start there. Um, when what I mean, when you look back at Inter winning the Scudetto and everything that happened since, how how do you experience? Like, what are your what are your thoughts? Like, if you try to collect them into, our Inter are into going, you know, starting? Uh, is it was was the Scudetto a punto d'arrivo or a punto di partenza, as the Italians say? Where are you on that?
3: That's an interesting way of putting it, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an extraordinary story. Is where I am at it. Where I am on it with? I can't even say a sentence now. Sorry, my brain's nice. Um, is where I am at with it, um, because the journalist that's, often how you sort of frame all these things, you know, it's, it's an extraordinary story to have a team that ends a decade of, of Juventus' dominance and then immediately sells not just um, an important player in Hakimi, but then follows up by selling, I think, the important player, all of us thought, in Nukaku, both right? in terms of, of what he was doing on the pitch, obviously, as you guys all know, who was Inter's leading scorer and assist provider last season, but also just what he represented, I think, at the time for the club in terms of being sort of I mean, there's no question that he was the icon of, of, of the title-winning team. The fact that you had one, not one but two murals of him right outside San Siro in a, in a season, basically, um, really sort of made it such an extraordinary moment. Um, but I, I don't think you can call it a Punta del because the story is very much begun with that title. or I suppose you could say the story begins with Conte arriving for the first season, the season four, but... And, and that story is ongoing. I I don't know if it's a if it's a Partenza either because the Partenza again is, is when Conte arrived. We're somewhere in the middle of the journey, um, and we don't know exactly where that journey is is going um, because I I don't know yet um, for this this Inter team. I'm I'm still very much seven games in, trying to understand Simone and Zagi's Inter. I don't feel like I understand the team at all. Um, there's parts of it that are still Antonio Conte's inter I think there are parts of it that are markedly not Antonio Conte's inter um but I think that's more complicated to unpick than it could be in some other managerial changes because fundamentally the outlook tactically strategically is two managers who are a similar in their outlook not identical not identical at all but both Conte and Inzaghi at both managers who I suppose would in fact focus on Partenze, on on, on you know, um, fast break football, on uh, playing with the back three, certainly a lot of the time and and seeking to not focus so much on possession, much more on, on the speed of those and um, again, I, I can't always find the right word for it in, in English football because of course Conte was so determinedly against Contrapiede and counter attacking but certainly rapid breaks um, which is why I, I like Partenze Um they're, they're similar ideologically. They're not identical, I, you know, I'm stressing that, but, but they're similar. So working out where we are on the journey, even between the two of them, like how much of the football is retained and how much of it is is now in Zaghi's football, for me, it's it's complicated, I think. Mm,
0: I, I think that's, that's very fair. Things usually are when it comes to Inter. Um, uh, I, I want to ask you one more question before handing over to Mo. Um, I, the more I think about it, um, of, and I'm and I'm basing this on what Simone Inzaghi said himself that he wants Antonio he wants Romelu Lukaku to be to 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 have played more in the penalty box than previously, and that's where Romelu Lukaku is being used right now by Thomas Tuchel. That's where he's been used previously as well, and I think that's a waste of his talents. I think I, I I think the only player the only coach who has properly used Romelu Lukaku was Antonio Conte and I think that's why Lukaku looked so devastating. He's the only one who seems to understand how how to use him, and that's why I, I've, I'm starting to think that maybe selling Lukaku was a blessing in disguise, uh, tactically speaking, because I think that Romelu Lukaku who's sitting camped in the in the oppo- opposition's penalty box. With his back against the goal, although he's improved that aspect of his game, I still think that using him in the build-up phase is the proper thing to do. The way Inter did. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think maybe I mean, and I mean, I'm not making, I'm not suggesting that you know Edin Dzeko, you know, is better than Lukaku. No, absolutely not. I mean, simply tactically, given his age and given that who he is and what kind of player he is, and the differences as you mentioned between Inzaghi and Conte. Was it maybe a blessing in disguise to sell Romelu Lukaku?
3: Um, I don't know about that. I, I, you know, Look, if, it, if um, Lukaku is being coached by Inzaghi, he's not camped out in the penalty box, City he? Chiro never was. Chiro is very much involved in the build-up play. It's probably one of the most underestimated aspects of Chiro Everyone thinks he's just a goal scorer. Um, but I think when you see, even with the national team, where he's had so much more disappointing um, um Contributions compared to what he does for Lazio, I think you see actually that Mancini values what he does in, in build-up play. So I, I don't think Lukaku would have been used by Inzaghi like he's by Tuchel. Also, because again, you've got an Inter team that is, is going to play for those fast breaks regardless. So I don't, I don't think I think that would be taking it too far to say it's a blessing in disguise. I understand your point though. I, I think that, um, that that Conte absolutely was was the manager who all through his last sort of gosh when did he first start trying to to sign Lukaku it's about half a decade before he actually got hold of him at Inter was trying to sign him at at Chelsea and almost you know for years and years has been obsessed with this one player and has been convinced that he knew how to get the best from him and he was right you know he really was the the manager who knew um, how to get the best out of Lukaku and I think Lukaku might come to regret leaving Inter especially because I don't think he he was desperate to leave Inter. I think at first he sincerely wasn't that bothered and, and, and was quite keen to stay even. But whatever it was, whether it's the money or, or the conversations he had with people at Chelsea, something changed his mind somewhere on the line. Um, but I, I, I do understand where you're coming from. And I do think we've got a, a different um, Inter up front as a result. We've certainly got an Inter that is, is not struggling to score goals without Lukaku. Um, but I, you're not going to get me to so it's a blessing in disguise. now. I, I think uh, I think Lukaku with uh, with Inzaki could have gone on very well.
0: Mm. Mo, did you have a question for Nikki? And the floor is yours.
1: Yeah. Hi, uh, Nikki. Thanks for coming on. I wanted to ask a question related more to Nima's uh, earlier question in light of uh, what's going on with uh, Newcastle United and uh, the PIF, um, and of course Inter's. Uh, difficulties with the swimming group and with whatever's going on with China and potential repercussions with the Evergrande uh, uh, but potential bankruptcy, so on and so forth. Do you think uh, in this modern day of football a team is able to really rebuild itself uh, in the image of its strong years pre-Arab uh, pre money coming in, without the input of Arabs uh, money or, 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 uh, or oligarch money or, or money of, uh, of that similar sort of uh, magnitude and, and, and size. Is it, is it possible to really build a project that can compete with the likes of the PSGs, the likes of uh, United, uh, Manchester City, so on and so forth uh, today? Or are Inter just uh, possibly uh, uh, a dog chasing its own tail at the moment and will continue to, to do so uh, unless uh, uh, a really uh, rich benefactor comes on and, and decides to uh, put a lot of money behind the project. Where where do you stand on this uh, you know, tricky, tricky subject?
3: Um, look, I, I am going to be absolutely explicit that I um, did not and, and would not support the Superley project, but I think this is a, a pretty vivid um, explanation of why... The, the people who were at the forefront of that project, and Reagnelli and, and Perez and and the other club owners who aren't from that category were so keen on it because yes, this is a reality of of the way football is, is going. and um, it's it's absolutely been uh, a building reality. It's not something that happened overnight. You can um you can take it back and back. But you know obviously um when when a brand rich showed up at, at Chelsea, that was uh, a game-changing moment. But there's been plenty before that on this path towards football being defined by and um, the, the, the extremely wealthy people who are able to to to, to take over football clubs. And and you know you can look at Italian football in its heyday in the 80s and 90s, and 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 say, well, wasn't it the same thing with, with Berlusconi and and all the other figures who were just Marathi, even at Inter, who were tipping money into it and 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 defining uh, entire leagues based on their personal wealth and and there's some valid there's some validity in that. I think that there's also difference in it. Um, obviously, and and I think the Saudi investment in Newcastle is, is a whole separate topic that I think would require a whole separate podcast to, to address properly. But in terms of competitiveness of the uh, transfer market, there is no competing with um. Sovereign states that are willing to tip um endless uh, resources into into a sporting endeavor that there is no competition by natural market forces with um billionaires really um but that really raises a different question for me of, of what is um you know what is your sort of driving enjoyment of football what is your interest in football i think um if you're Brutally realistic about it. um There's no question that in the last few years we'd already reached a point where, because of TV money coming in, certain leagues have financial possibilities that others don't. And, and the Premier League is at the forefront of that. The Premier League has greater financial resources going right down with the league now than other leagues. And and even um and it's an inter podcast, but the, the fact is that Juventus have been the club in, in in Italy that in recent years has been pushing hardest to get up the. Um, the rich list, and even at the sort of top end of their possibilities are still very far from from the top end of of what the richest premier league clubs are able to to bring in that's that's just the market reality it doesn't mean it's impossible to have beautiful football um i think there's been some extraordinary football played in serie a this season it doesn't mean it's impossible for in the context of um certainly the structure that we have now for european football it doesn't mean that it's impossible for on any given season a team from, from a country such as Italy to compete, um, especially at a time like right now when so much brilliant young Italian talent's coming through. If you've got a team that's won the Euros that's formed, that is Italian, look at how many of those players are still playing in Serie A and are able to bring their influence to those teams, including, of course, Berla Um And I, I think people... Um, are not wrong to sort of draw this conclusion that it's going to be impossible to compete in the market with your PSGs and your Manchester Cities and who knows maybe Newcastle. I don't know yet how, um, how the PIF are going to spend their money. But um, if it's up to, to fans to decide whether or not that that takes away their enjoyment of football altogether, um, because. Um, to me the interest is never in the transfer story, It's never in that all where's Neymar going. To me the interest is, has always been in, on, on the pitch. Like I know people don't don't all share my view on that.
0: Yeah. No, that's it's an interesting, like you said, I mean this would require an entire different podcast because I mean what I mean, I saw figures that viewership in the Champions League is down thirty-five percent from two thousand nineteen. I think the only thing COVID did was kind of accentuate and, and, and speed up a process. Uh, I think we kind of reached mar- if the current paradigm uh, and interest kind of reached a, a, t- a tipping point a few years ago. And I think COVID just kind of increased that um, uh, that for whatever reason, you know, you can you can cut this in so many ways. But it would it would be very interesting to see how people, or well, if there's actually research being done in this and why the interest is going down. And it's not just in in the prem in in the in the Champions League and Premier League, but across the board, club football is losing interest while. I think national teams, from what I've read, is, is, is the, the interest is gaining on that, which is rather coincidental with FIFA's proposition of the World Cup every two years. Um, so I, I do think we're at a crossroads um, where it will go. Nobody knows. Uh, but it is it absolutely is an interesting topic for sure. Um, uh, Jake, did you have a question for Nikki?
2: I do. Uh, Modern football just depresses me, so I'm going to move away from that a little bit. (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about Inter more specifically. Um, What do you think of the summer recruitment that has sort of just been, I mean, I'm someone who's not massively too keen on whacking career. I think maybe Inter could have spent that money a bit more wisely. Do you agree with that, or do you think he could be a good possible option for Inter? Is, Is Edin Dzeko someone who's going to be really good for the first few months, they sort of fizzle out. Do you think Inter have got enough with what they've bought to sort of see them through to uh, defend their title?
3: I yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the uh, summer window, I think. Of course, you have to be realistic about um, the financial situation. There were some pretty ugly um, numbers on, on the most recent accounts that came out. Um, so of course that there needed to be huge sort of um, net income, but to say goodbye to Lukaku and 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 say that okay the player who's coming to replace that is Edin Dzeko, is with the best player in the world, um, and a, a pretty significant step backwards. Edin Dzeko is a hugely talented footballer and and has been brilliant. Even in the the season's been brilliant, been brilliant in the past. In his career, he's 35 years old, and and expecting him to be at the level. He's been in the first part of the season for the whole season is a big ask. I think also, perhaps even in this first part of the season, we've seen um, in the Champions League he hasn't been able to have the same impact so far that Inter would have liked him to be able to have. So that's one part of it. Um, Of course, uh, Marotta has been saying in the last few days, look, we were trying to sign Vlahovic. The question is, uh, how seriously were they trying to sign Vlahovic? I don't think he's lying, but football clubs... Football clubs make a lot of inquiries in the summer. It's a very sort of um a lot goes on in transfer windows, much more probably than, than people even realise, um, uh, in terms of phone calls and and messages and and inquiries and, and all of that, and and how serious that, how close that that varbich idea became something I'm I'm skeptical because I think the financial the gap between what Intel would have been prepared to offer and, and what Firendin would have accepted was quite as substantial. Um but there's other players who've come in. I, I I find the I find the attacking recruitments overall just a bit a bit odd if I'm being honest. Lu um Jekyll at least understand. Like Jeko makes some sense to me in terms of what he does on the pitch, in terms of uh, the role he's played, in terms of very different um role to Lukaku, but being someone who can be that offensive pivot, who can play with his back to goal. I think he's been actually really excellent so far, bringing other parts of that attack and the midfield into play. But the rest of it, I don't get. Chalinoglu is, is a number 10 in a, in a formation that doesn't have a number 10. Mm. And Joaquin Correa is... I don't dislike him as a footballer. I think he's got things going for him. He's certainly got that ability to to stretch the field in the sort of American parlance. He's, he's got that... Um, that range and and that ability to accelerate. But I I think he's a bit of a nine and a half. And, you know, I I think that La frankly, is is a nine and a half, something between a nine and a ten. And if you've got um, Charnoglu playing as a, who who should be a ten, in my opinion, and you've got two nine and a halves, then you've got, I guess, a a number nine in in Arinjeko. How does that all fit together? It doesn't. I mean, Ines Correa is just there to be La alternative, Fair enough. But the attack doesn't make sense to me. Um, and to, to sort of say on the transfer market, I didn't mention Dumfries is obviously a great signing. I think he's he looks really promising for what was paid. And I, I, I like seeing Dumad back there as well. But the attack really doesn't make sense to me at all.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I, I know that it sounds weird to some people when I say this, but I do think Inter have a striker problem. I don't mean a goal-scoring problem, because obviously you know the goals are coming in uh, from, from other parts of the pitch. But I agree with that. I think Inter don't lack a natural goal-scorer as an at- alternative to Edin Dzeko, because Lautaro Martinez is far from efficient in front of goal. Joaquin Correa has basically never reached double digits in his career in terms of goal-scored. And... Then you have Alexis Sanchez, who we'll get to a little bit later in this podcast in another section, who who, who seems to suffer from a big bad case of lack of self awareness, who's completely injured and and way past his past his best. And then you got Martin Satriano. I I agree with you on in that. And then the, I don't think it's it's strange at all that Inter are looking to bring in a striker in, in January. Um, uh, I I was hoping they'd spent far less money and and got Andrea Bellotti in the summer who. Despite for 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 all his limitations, he is a goal scorer and he's a number nine who works hard. I mean, he's always been tipped to be, you know, Dzeko's replacement at Roma because he was like this kind of poor man's Jekyll, they said. Um, So to me, that that would have made far more sense, given your financial reality that you spent 33 million euros on a Joaquin Correa to be a backup. And again, I agree, because again, I agree with you, Chalanoglu's a number 10 is not a Metzala. And the sooner Simon Inzaghi understands that, the better off everyone is. Um, I didn't and, want to have everyone else. That was the one
3: signing they he really wanted.
0: The which one? one
3: Chalanoglu.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, when Eriksson got injured, I mean, obviously, when when, when Christian Eriksson got injured, I understand that they had to do something. But the way that Simon Inzaghi has been speaking about I mean, he said it after the Genoa game. He said it completely, you know, repeated it. Chalanoglu is my Luis Alberto. He's my Metzala. No, he's not. <laughs> he's really not. And and the sooner I think Simonin realises that, the better off we are. We all are. Because I agree with you. I think Chalanoglu in the number 10 role behind a Lautaro or, or a Dzeko in this lineup would do far better, far more damage than he's doing right now, where he just can't coexist with Marcelo Brozovic. Similarly to how Christian Eriksen couldn't coexist to to Marcelo Prozovic, but then Conte shifted the balance after 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 after, after February, and then it all kind of clicked. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. I think there there are issues. That, that it's not. It doesn't make sense to me either. It really doesn't. But before we let you go, I just want to your who do you think? I mean, give us your top six uh, for the European places uh, in the Serie. A, Your prediction time in order. <laughs> yes, from one to six. Come on, <laughs> it's a bit of fun. We all do it. Uh,
3: well, I think do you know what? I think I said Juventus last season, we finished first. I don't think I believe that anymore. But I really don't know who's been going to first. I honestly don't. Um, so for the sake of uh, it well, oh, I can't say what I think right now because I think I'm on the wrong podcast. Honestly, if I was going to stick my neck out for a team right now, I'd be Milan. I'm sorry to say that, but that's no, not no, to my no. Neck out. So I think Milan first. Um Inter second, Napoli third. Ooh. See, so now I've made it interesting, haven't I? Because I've only got one of uh, one spot yeah. for Juventus or...
0: Atalanta, probably... yeah.
3: I, I don't think Atlanta are going to make it in this season. I've been saying that for a little while. I don't think they're going to be far off. I just I think that um, mm. they've been um, punching above their weight for so long and this is just such a competitive season for um, that top four that I think this might be the year when it... Comes unstuck. It's, Juventus have to be in that top four, but I, I I would not be at all shocked, frankly, if any of those, including Milan, host put first, slip out for Roma. Um, I think that's a very real possibility, and certainly it's a possibility as well that one of them slips out for Atlanta. So, very very tough. But I will go with um, Milan, Inter, uh, Napoli, Juventus, and then um, Roma, Atlanta. And I guess Lazio would be
0: just fine there. What about Roma? So you have them. You don't have them there? <laughs> Sorry? You woke At- up. Roma 5th. Oh, okay. I'll say it again.
3: So I have Milan 1st, uh, Inter 2nd, Napoli 3rd, Juventus 4th, Roma 5th, um, Atalanta 6th. And I guess that leaves Lazio in
0: 7th. Mm. I, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's so anyone could win it like it's one of those years where it literally is anyone could win it um who do you think yeah i still am
3: unbeaten and have conceded three goals so not even unbeaten without a draw so mm. absolutely league this season um, and i don't think Juventus are out of the, the league conversation at all just because they're 10 points back it's a long season it's a mm. likely it's it's so they could win it as
0: well. I couldn't agree more. What about Coppa Italia? Uh, who do you think is going to win the Coppa Italia and Super Super Coppa, whenever that's played?
3: Um, the Coppa Italia, who knows? Anyone? Let's say, um, let's say, uh, gosh, I don't know. Um, let's say Napoli win it, because because I've given the league to to Milan.
0: Mm. <laughs> and the Super between Inter and Juve in, in December. I think I think you went to the winner, but like, no, mm. I, I
3: shouldn't say that. No,
0: you, you should, take. you should. No, no, you got to be honest. You got to be honest. You got to be honest. It's okay.
3: Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it'll be a big moment for, for Inzaghi, in even. I mean, Inzaghi's won some cups as well in this time, but, um, yeah. I, I, think Allegri, after I really doubted you at the start of the season, um, you know, he, he reminded us a little bit with that. That went over Chelsea, that in big moments, he, he often comes up with a plan and, uh, you know, I think the Super Copa. Certainly, the way that I've planned out the season for everyone, that would be a big moment for then, because I haven't got the money out mm, <laughs> else.
0: So, yeah, agreed. I have I have Victor Ossiman uh, as my Capocannoniere in despite that yeah, he'll probably be gone for a bit for the Cap, uh, African Cup of Nations. Um, who do you think will be the Capocannoniere, Nikki?
3: The main reason I, I that's the main reason I think Matthew might not win the league actually. If I'm being honest, is it's not just Ossiman who goes, but also Kuli and Anguisa he started so well there as well. Um, Capocaranniera. Hmm, uh, <laughs> in the end, it's probably Immobile, then, but um, who knows? Uh, I'll, I'll go with Immobile until mm. someone proves different.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. And before we let you go, um, you know, if you want to, if you got, if you got something coming up, then please plug it. And also tell everyone about your uh, your new Serie A podcast project together with another good friend of the show, Mina Arzuki.
3: Yes. Um, Mina and I have uh, a new Syria podcast at Syria Ann Chronicles. That's and, uh, and, our uh, our new podcast. We've done, I think, gosh, four weeks worth of episodes now. I guess it's been a couple of episodes a week. So we're doing a mailbag episode as well. It's a lot of fun, and um, you guys know Mina. She's just too much fun to make a podcast with. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's we're really enjoying it. But do check it out. It's um, every week we come out. We record on Monday. Generally hits podcast feeds on tuesdays for uh weekly um what's going on around italian football chat and then on fridays the end of the week we have a mailbag QA so two episodes a week but
0: hope you check that we, we definitely will i can really recommend it i i've i've listened to it and it's it's really good so thank you so much for coming on nikki
3: anytime anytime
0: take care say hi to mina <laughs> Right. Um, let's um, let's move on to um, to the Lazio game, which we will be, which will Inter will play on Saturday. Um. Uh, This Saturday uh, on, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's a, uh, it's an after it's not an afternoon game, but it's an evening game, early evening game. Yeah, at 5pm UK, 6pm Italian time. It's away at the Stadio Olimpico. It's Simone Inzaghi's return to the Stadio Olimpico to play his Lazio. Um, And it's an Inter who, it's an Inter who face, it's two teams that are, that have, in they have a problem, they have problems with in terms of personnel. Um, inters. South American players, Vidal, Sanchez, Korea, Lautaro, etc. They, you know, inter- they'll they're be coming pretty sh- close to kickoff. Edin Dzeko's played for Bosnia, Czalanoglu's played for Turkey, Skriniar, Brozovic, Perisic, uh, Bastoni, Barella, etc. So, uh, the, you know, and is injured, they have Acerbi suspended Lazio. So it is going to be quite the interesting game. I, I don't know how to approach this because of this particular circumstances going into it. So I'm going to start with you, Mo. What kind of game are you expecting, and what what do you what prediction do you give? Uh,
1: I uh, I predict exactly what you predicted. A very difficult game to predict. I have no idea. I really have no idea. There are so many so many different. Uh, I mean, we, we we've said it many many times in the pod before. Uh, predicting games after the international break is uh, really, uh, you know, uh, uh, Russian roulette. And uh, one where Inzaghi, like, there's all this other uh, psychological and emotional baggage uh, layered on top of that, it makes it so much more difficult. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how Inzaghi is going to approach the game. I mean, you know, uh, for the longest time, we've known that Inter to Lazio. Uh, for the longest time, we know that Lazio to Inter we're a bogey team, and then subsequently, you know, with uh, with, uh, with Anders Paletti, the, the, the tide has been sort of reversed, and with Conte, then thereafter, the Olympico no longer, you know, uh, seems that, that difficult of a, of a stadium for, for him to travel to. But again, with Inzaghi at the helm, is is this going to be a psychologically difficult game for him to manage? We still don't know. We still don't know what sort of manager Inzaghi is. Is he able to... to to, to, to handle these uh, high pressure situations as well is he is he able to uh, put his emotions aside? What is Sari going to do? Lazio is a team that's under pressure as well. Sari's the results this the season so far after a pretty bright start have not been have not been very good. So they're not, they're not going to be going to be playing without a lot of pressure on their shoulders either. So I think it's 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 an extremely difficult game. I think ultimately. Um, I really hope that uh, Inzaghi is not very is not too pragmatic as he was against Real Madrid in the second half, and and in the sense that uh, you know, I, I think I think Lazio are there for the kill, and I think Inter can most certainly come back to to, to Milan with the, with the three points. However, uh, one might find that uh, should the game still be at a stalemate at uh, you know minute 55 started at the start of the second half uh, a couple of uh, defensive changes and, and you know maybe both managers decide to set for a draw although I hardly believe that uh, that uh, Sarri will ever play for a draw so I don't know I don't know I, I, I think it's a very difficult game uh, or it could potentially be a very difficult game but I think just on the balance of form and on the balance of the, the, the quality of, of the different teams I think Inter should be able to win this, but uh, let me let me put myself down for for, uh, for a nil-nil draw, a very difficult KG nil-nil draw where tempo is my flair and, 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 and it might get ugly. That's um
0: that's interesting you say KG uh, because it's Maurizio Sarri and I don't think he knows how to play KG. Um, but so I, I actually think it's going to end in a draw, but I think it's going to be a high-scoring uh, affair with. Um, uh, with a lot of goals, I because I because I, I, I think inter you know because of the balance that he's spoken about, but has uh, Inzaghi's spoken about, but he's failed to implement, I think we're um, that that inter will struggle uh, going into uh, going into this game um, uh, defensively that is. and I also think that without Acerbi, and and given how open. Lazio look. They also will concede goals. Um, so I, I'm thinking a two-two or even three-three spectacular draw, something like that. What about you, Jake? Where are you on on the scale? Uh, I'm with you on this
2: one. I, I can see it being a high-scoring draw. I think if anybody's going to win it, I think it's probably going to be Inter. I think they've shown to be a lot more convincing so far than Lazio. I think Lazio are still sort of learning how they're going to go about things under Sari, they've got a Cherby missing. He's suspended too. So that's 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 not ideal. I think Inter will be able to score in that game. It's just whether they can keep it out. I think one thing worth sort of thinking about a little bit as well is, you know, the season's not really got going for me, Syria so far this season. These international breaks, you know, when you think back to the summer, you've got a lot of new players coming in, the whole talk of sooning and all this. I think you underestimate just how sort of difficult it's been for Inter to start under a new manager. Bit of added pressure as Scudetto holders. You're talking about trying to compete in Europe too. I think it's been really hard and this is a tough game. Uh, I think it possibly in some ways a really good time to play Lazio. I think given they might have a couple missing and they're still sort of trying to find their feet. They Obviously, they were beaten 3 0 convincingly at a pretty rubbish Bologna team as well just before the break. So. Uh, I think you've got to take things with a bit of sort of foresight when you talk about games after the international break as well. I think you've know you you've got a lot of players, like you've just mentioned, trying from all over the world during this spell, a lot of them arriving so close to the game, and you think, right, come on, let's go win this game. But it's not as simple as that. So I think Inter are a better side. I think if anyone's going to win it, it will be Inter. But I'm just going to hedge it a draw simply for that reason. I think the fact that they can't quite hit a stride into. Um, and that's not going to be helped at all by all these players returning from internationals.
0: Um, that's a, that's a good point. Um, uh, I agree. What, what do you what do you think in terms of final results if you were to predict one? I'm gonna I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna say three three. Mo Mo's going with nil nil. Where, where are you, Jake? Uh, I'm
2: gonna go two two. I'm
0: stay with two two. Yeah. Okay, so we've got three draws then. Fair enough. Um. Yeah, uh, let's move on to the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of and criticize something or someone heavily in the world of football, starting with the positivity. This week's Moratti, which will be presented by Mr. Positivity, Mr. Mohammed Nasser. He, is, he works a lot, he's intelligent and... Surprise uh, people sometimes with his uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of these uh, this.
1: So I really think I'm going to start uh, tallying uh, the various moratis I hand out every week to see if there's a, a standout uh, uh, leader to come the end of the season. Um, it's got to be Barella again with that goal, goal he scored against. Uh, who was it? Was against Belgium uh, in the Nations League, uh, third and fourth uh, place. Uh, uh, what's it called? Match. Uh, that goal was fantastic. Barella, you know, uh, despite not starting the game, really, you know, clearly made his mark on the match. And we can't, you know, keep saying it uh, often enough. The the, the boy, uh, the young man, is is world class, and he's definitely shaping up to be uh, one of the best midfielders in the world uh, in any role in the midfield. And uh, listening to Marotta's words uh, during the break uh, with that uh, long interview that we had about uh, the renewal coming soon and wanting to compensate uh, the player and make sure that he's satisfied and tied in for the long term is really music to my ears. So uh, again, I say this again and again, this project would be nowhere without Marotta. The only reason why we 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 look at Inter with optimism is the presence of Marotta at the helm and uh, the fact that we have players like Barella uh, and like Lautaro and so on and so forth is, you know, really a real blessing uh, considering where the, where the club's uh, uh, potential finances uh, could have taken us or, or any alternate scenarios. So seeing Barella perform consistently for Inter and, and for the Aturi is, is a real
0: feat. Uh, yeah, agreed. Let's move on to something much more comical, this week's uh, Frog, which will be presented by Mr. Jake Smalley.
3: Okay,
2: well, I wanted to go with a little bit comical this week. Maybe it's perhaps a bit personal to me as an English football fan, but what I really enjoyed this week, obviously the big news coming out of English football, it's all about Newcastle being taken over. And there's been a whole big discussion about whether it's ethically right for, for my sort of two-pence of it. It's not massively ethically right. But one thing that I have really sort of missed about uh, football the last 18 months or so in my country. is seen the calibre of English football fans and all the pictures that would be plastered around social media of these 17, 18-year-old lads, socks pulled up, kinds of stellar artois celebrating uh, Newcastle being taken over. That's what made me laugh this week. And, you know, as much as we can make things quite serious and be quite sinister about them, let's just it's a message to me to try and enjoy football for the simplicity of what it is so that's what i'm going to go with for this week the idea of the common british football fan because they just make me laugh
0: <laughs> yeah it, it did look a bit bizarre and, and it was a bit froggy uh, i couldn't agree more um right let's move on to something much more negative this week's modji which i'll be presenting myself So there's a couple of things we can choose. Uh, as as um, Jake alluded to, uh, uh, the 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 PIF takeover of of Newcastle. I'm not one of those people who has hiss, who throws hissy fits over uh, people taking over uh, over Saudi Arabia taking the Saudi state taking over uh, Newcastle because I think it's quite obvious. If you zoom out, you see you know as Nicky Bandini said, Silvio Berlusconi and Massimo Moratti. You know the, the the they also pumped money in the you know state you know this has been a long time coming, this has just been a slow you know shift in degree uh, throughout the years. This is this is this is modern football. This has been a long time coming, um, and and if you look at the previous people who have invested in, in the Premier League. Uh, and previous states uh, as well as the P- uh, as well as in psg it doesn't come as a surprise it was just a matter of time before uh, saudi, the saudi state came in uh, so i'm not bothered about that at all but what i what i do not like is the lying is is the dishonesty uh, surrounding it and i who i'm referring to is the premier league their statement that they released was the most ludicrously absurd and dishonest statement i think i've Read uh, from a league in a very, very long time. Um, when when they announced uh, this uh, the, the deal, the way they announced it was they they, they released uh, a statement which was profoundly ludicrous. And this is the sta- this is the part of the statement um, uh, that, that that is ridiculous. It says the legal disputes concerned which entities would own and or have the ability to control the club following the takeover. All parties have agreed the settlement is necessary to end the long uncertainty for fans over the club's ownership. The Premier League has now received legally binding assurances that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia will not control Newcastle United Football Club, end quote. That is ridiculous because PAF the, the, is a sovereign investment fund. The definition of one is a, is that it's owned by a state. If you were to look into whatever financial uh financial institution you on uh, that, that that works with these things you will see that they all consider uh, the saudi fund as the the pif as a saudi state fund that is what it is it's not a it's not an opinion it's a fact okay and 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 this and this notion that that pif who own now 80 percent of newcastle that they don't control Saudi that, that they don't control the club that Saudi Arabia the Saudi Arabian state doesn't control the club is positively ludicrous that's that's just a lie uh, for if if anything their 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 homepage is .gov.sa. i mean it's it's just profoundly absurd to suggest that it's not connected to the Saudi state of course it's connected to the Saudi state and again as i said i'm not one of those people who ha- who throws hissy fits over this? I mean, the only, you know, the, the, this is this has been a long time coming. The the Premier League's lies is this week's moji. The, this notion that you've received a legal uh, legally binding insurances that means nothing. All that that just suggests that you're just washing your hands because. It's how on earth can you have received legally binding assurances that the Saudi state doesn't control Newcastle United when the Saudi state fund, state-owned sovereign wealth fund, controls 80% of Newcastle United? It's it's ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. Um, And and that is why I think the Premier League is this week's uh, moji for for their blatant lies. It's absolutely ridiculous. Just be honest. We all know what what this is about. It's about money and all, all the virtue signaling about uh you know inclusion is 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 exactly that on their part and on their part and that's fine you know if you want if you're into that again i don't i don't you know i have no moral hiccups over that my only issue is stop lying and stop lying in such a blatant way it insults our intelligence as people right um that's all we have time for i'd like to thank nikki nikki bandini for coming on like to thank mo for coming coming on he had to rush off i'd like to thank you jake
2: yeah, thank you. It's always a, a, a good opportunity to have a chat about Inter and things like that. I mean, we can talk about that situation for a long time, can't we? But let's let's push that aside and let's focus on Inter. Think about the weekend and hopefully we can come out at this international break, hit the straps and get a good set of league fixtures behind them and start to see some real progress towards this uh, Scudetto defence.
0: Couldn't agree more Um, Until next week Please make sure to hit like Subscribe Give us five stars And all that good stuff On the various platforms Where you listen to us Um, And listen Hope you all stay safe Listen to your health authorities Uh, uh, Wishing you also three points And sempre a solo forza inter.